Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning. morning. Dude, that bass in that intro almost made my brain rattle out of my ears. That was intense. Um, Pastor Jonathan is not with us today. He is on vacation. So if you are new here, I, uh, I'm filling in for him. Actually, there's a bunch of faces. I was talking when I got here. I was like, I don't feel like I've been gone that long. And there's a bunch of people I don't recognize. So y'all are growing. Good job. Keep it up. We'll fill up some more seats and get some more chairs in here soon. So, uh, But I'm, I'm Adam. Uh, I'm a member of the church. Um, and they uh, are foolish enough to let me come up here and speak as the preaching team. Um, for whatever reason, I am nervous right now. And I've done this a whole bunch, and I don't normally get nervous. So I don't know what it is about it. But if I come across with some, uh, with some chaotic energy, it's for whatever reason, I'm, I'm jittery right now. So I think maybe it's because what I get to talk about is something that is... Um, terrifying, and that is parenting. And um, yeah, it's, it's a scary thing, isn't it? Like, so I, I saw he asked how many parents were in the room, and there was a bunch of hands that went up. So I'm glad about that. It would have been terrifying for me even more if no hands had gone up, and then I'd have been like, oh, great, now I got to teach parenting to a bunch of not parents. So um uh, we did, we are, uh, we did get together, uh, Finney did, uh, Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan did uh, get together with us and, and prepare, so, so uh, his, his uh, work ethic is in this a little bit as well, and so while me and Pastor Gary were studying and, and uh, pulling out scripture, he was looking up funny parent quotes, so he, he, he's got some for you. So Jerry Seinfeld, a two-year-old's kind of like having a blender, but you don't have the top for it. Sounds right. No one makes more observations than a child sharing a stall with his mother inside a public restroom. <laughs> Mom, what is that? You have a rash. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't part of the quote. That was, that was freestyle. <laughs> when your children are teenagers, it's important to have a dog so that somebody is happy to see you come home. Carrie Underwood said, it just occurred to me the majority of my diet is made up of food that my kid didn't eat. And Ray Romano finishes us up with, having children is like living in a frat house. Nobody ever sleeps. Everything's always broken, and there's a lot of throwing up. Okay. Pastor Gary, I think, I don't know if he pulled this from somewhere, but there's a, there's a line in here that I think is hilarious, but it's, also, it's so, so true. Is parent, parenting is like treading water, and then somebody hands you cats. I feel like that is a very, very spot-on feeling of what it is that you're just trying to keep your life straight, and then all of a sudden you get all this chaos around you, and then the things that you were trying to keep alive desperately start biting you and clawing you and trying to get away from you. That's parenting. It's scary. It's scary, isn't it, parenting? I think today it's even scarier because previous generations... Um, more or less just had to keep their kids alive. <laughs> there wasn't nearly as much stuff to be afraid of, and, but we get sort of inundated with all the things that are going to get our kids and the, the, all the things that are destroying the world and our kids are going to grow up in this desolate wasteland. And, you know, all the sensational 
stories that we get. And so now we're afraid of not only sickness for our kids or not only not being able to provide for our kids or, or our kids um, straying towards drug abuse or, or obesity, bad health, or now we have gender dysphoria as a major concern. I didn't even consider it when I was growing up. We have sexuality is it's way out in the open now. I don't think that's a bad thing, but I do think we can go too far with it. And so now not only do you have to worry about education, now we're terrified to send our kids to school because of gun violence. And maybe that's why I'm like this. Because maybe studying this week added some gravity to a job that I've been given that I'd never really um, given its due, you know? So I am, my, my bona fides, I, I, am a, I am a parent, so I can speak from experience. I have a 12-year-old daughter, so some of you, uh, you know, just found out that I have a 12-year-old daughter, and it's like, give it a couple years. You're about to go on a roller coaster. And that's cool. I also have a goddaughter who's lived with us for the past four years, five years, something like that. We, in, we inherited her when she was like 15, 16, and now she's 21. She's going off to get married. So I've got a bit of a, a, bit of a, a hodgepodge. Um, but I don't think that having kids makes you an expert on parenting by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I think having kids makes you understand very clearly how little you understand about raising kids. So that's why we got to connect to somebody that really knows how to parent. Sociologist Reuben Hill, I don't know if we have the little graphic, I have it in my little thing, but I don't normally use graphics, so if it pops up, then, oh, yep, there you go. I don't, you've probably seen this if you read a parenting book or ever talked to anybody about parenting. Um, but they basically, they did a study and they found that there was basically four quadrants uh, of parent style. And, and the measurable would be discipline and love, basically. Those are the, the metrics that they, were, that they were measuring. And there were four different styles. The permissive parent is very, very high in love, but low in discipline. They want to be their kid's friend, their three-year-old's friend. They want, they want their, their, their four-year-old's voice to be heard. They want to, them to feel like their voice is being heard in the home. Parents, if you are listening to your four-year-old child's logic, my child was weeping openly because she couldn't pull her head off of her body. Like, that child doesn't need input into family decisions. When they get older, maybe. But there's very low discipline. They're afraid, you're, they're afraid of, of messing them up. Neglectful parent is uh, very low in discipline, very low in love. It's just sort of not there. This is generally uh, addict behavior. Um, sometimes it's um, somebody dealing with very strong depression. That kind of thing can lead to. Um, sometimes it's a single mom that's just doing her best. Sometimes it's the dad that, that is, his, is wanting to support his family and he forgot to actually be with his family and so he gets swept up in his career. He's working 180 hours a week and he's never around. Then there's the authoritarian parent and that's very high discipline, very low love. You will do what I say. I don't care if it upsets you. I don't care what you think. The, the, the drill sergeant dad or mom, I guess. I feel like that one, is that one a, well, I guess moms could be that way. I always, for, for whatever reason, I just always assume that's, that's, a, that's a pops. But, uh, and then the authoritative parent. And that one's the best combination of discipline 
and love. That's the one that your child understands that their, their job is to obey you. But they also understand that that doesn't mean that you don't love them. I feel like we probably, we definitely want to land in that authoritative parent. But if we're honest, we probably, as parents, circle around that thing a good bit. I don't know that we would ever just be one of these things. I think we probably go through spells where we jump, or jump around that little graph. So just take a minute, an inventory of where you are if you're a parent. And if you've already got kids out of the house, as a grandparent, because your kids need help raising their kids. You know how hard it was. You know what idiots your kids are. That's me making jokes about myself. She's not here, so I get to, I get to talk trash. You might get a lot of Kylie examples today, by the way, so just, just hold on. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he told them how to raise their children up in the Lord. I got news for you. That's the only way. That's the only way. We can do that. He's going to give us four ways. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. You have very likely, if you've ever opened a Bible, heard this verse before. But let's look at it with fresh new eyes. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. So let's get into it. Give them the right standard to obey. Give them the right standard to obey. That's right up at the front. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. In the Lord, for it is right. It is God's will for children to obey their parents. This is important for us to know because sometimes you could read that and say, obey your parents in the Lord, where parents in the Lord is one statement. It's not like that, though. This call is a call that says, children, obey your parents. It's the will of the Lord, if that makes any sense. The structure there, it kind of changes. So what that means is, children, even if you had a rough upbringing, even if you don't have godly parents, you're still commanded to respect them, to honor them. They can be wrong, and you can know they're wrong, and you still love them in the Lord for its right. Right, the word right right there. That's an important word, I think, because we've gotten, we've legislated God out of our culture. And now there's no such thing as right and wrong anymore. It's just how you feel, how I feel, my truth, your truth. That's the dumbest. There's no such thing as my truth. It's my opinion. But that's become accepted language. But that presupposes that there isn't an actual right and wrong. The word right right there is approved by God. That's, that's the notion of right. 
It's approved by God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's the way God wants it. I'm talking to a room full of adults about how to be a child. (laughs) Maybe you still got parents. Maybe there's a, a, a schism there that maybe you need to bridge. I don't know. So what is the standard by which they should obey? Deuteronomy 6. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. What standard should they obey? These words that I've given to you. Write them on the hearts of your children. This is where the parenting part of it comes in. We talked a lot about children. Obey your parents. How do you get them to obey you? Write God's word on their heart. Because the truth of it is, you're just taking care of them for a while. They're God's children. So our job is not to shape them and make them the thing we want them to be. Our job is to hold on and lift them up to the big father. And so we do that by letting them understand what big father wants. Colossians 3.20 Children, obey your parents in everything, for it pleases the Lord. Pastor Gary calls Colossians the Reader's Digest version of Ephesians. It says basically the same thing as what we just read right here. Obey your children, obey your parents in everything, for it pleases the Lord. So, when you become a parent, um, you start reading books. I believe it was my sister-in-law when, when, when my wife was pregnant uh, who, who gave the sagely advice of stop reading things. You can find anything written down in text form. And so there's so many messages out there that we start to get things wrong. So I got a parenting myth right here that it's my children's responsibility to become well-rounded, successful adults. That sounds right. Right? That's what I want for my children, to be well-rounded, successful adults. But the reality is that my children's primary goal is to learn healthy obedience. Why? Because if I can have my children be obedient to me in a healthy way, then I can teach them the way. And that's going to be a lot more valuable than being really good at math. Being really good at math, not a bad thing. But fast forward two billion years, I really hope we're not still doing math tests when I get to heaven. So it's a limited skill, whereas healthy obedience to the Lord is an eternal skill. There's a lot of, if you, if you walk through the supermarket, you'll see a lot of bad, bad parenting examples. Um, I got a, a list of, of uh, worldly ways to control children. Bribery. If you do what I tell you, I'll get you a toy. I'll give you some Skittles if you just behave. That only works as long as you have Skittles. I, I do, I, whenever I see parents that are, that are relying on a thing, 
uh, like bribery or like uh, uh, intimidation. Um, it's another one of the ones that's in here. Uh, threatening. If you don't pick up your stuff, I'm throwing it away. I said that true, but I said it a lot uh, gentler than that and <laughs> hand, handed her a box and said, here, you throw away what you want to throw away. <laughs> I, I get a lot of like, hey, clean your room. I don't have a spot for this stuff. Then you have too much stuff. <laughs> Emotional appeals. After everything I do for you, and this is how you repay me. Guilting them into it. Oh. Reasoning. Eat your dinner or it'll get cold. There's a, there's a reason why you should be doing this, and here's your reason. The issue with that one is they could just reason back. That's fine. I don't like this food anyway, or whatever. Yelling. I won't yell at you. I might blow up the microphone. The countdown, y'all, if you were doing the countdown, please stop doing the countdown. The countdown should be one. I'm, the countdown is one. It's the, there's no three. I saw somebody in the store. They did a countdown of 10. Are you kidding me? I'm going to count to 10. Get out of here with that. Just yeah, If you're doing the countdown, I'm counting to one. One, let's go. Um. And then the, the, the time bomb, just the explosion, just the, I just can't take any more, boom, evaporates everything in sight. These are common, but they're worldly. Given the right standard to obey. Point number two, show them the way of honor. We, we had a little fun, me and Finney had a little fun with uh, Pastor Gary when we, were, when we were coming up with these, and this, is, this one ended up worded like this, and so for the rest of the day, we were walking around going, oh, show them the way of honor. Very good, Father. <laughs> honor here is to lift up. Show them how to lift up. The, the wording of this is funny, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. So this is a, a promise that if we show them the way of honor, then our life will go a lot better than if we don't. It, it will be well with us, and, they will live, and we will live long in the land. That live long in the land is kind of a two-part thing, where it is you, you personally will have a much bigger, fulfilled, more fulfilled life. It's also a, a humanity thing, uh, like the, the people group. Um, that the people will be allowed to live in the land a lot longer. The Israelites got kicked out of a lot of lands, right? We, I think we're doing a terrible job of, of, of I think, actually, I think we're doing a great job of degrading our culture, of, of, of disintegrating culture by removing the notion of honor from culture. I think that's a hard way to keep existence as humanity. How do we do this, though? How do we teach them honor? Romans 12.10 Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So we give them an example to follow. And then we outdo one another honoring us, honoring ourselves. We honor them as children. It doesn't mean we lift them up above us, but it does mean we lift them up. What does honor look like? This, if you can't guess, is a Pastor Garyism. It obeys immediately, sweetly, and completely. That sounds very Pastor Gary. <laughs> it's true, though. 
honor and obedience can sometimes get disconnected, right? Hey, go clean your room. It's not honoring. I I sometimes, I actually have a a pretty awesome daughter, but sometimes I do have to rein her in a little bit. Um, I call it intimidating, where... My, my voice drops, I've learned. My voice drops like into my chest, and I get apparently there's a look on my face. It's like, I'm sorry, what? And you, you kind of watch her melt. But sometimes, I don't have to do it very often, but I've had to do it a couple of times where I was talking to her or whatever, and hey, come here. And then she, you know, I'm sorry, what? Walk back over there. Come here. Yes, sir. That's what it is. Respecting in your thoughts and your deeds. Addressing parents appropriately. This is a big one. Dad, mom. Whatever you, whatever you prefer to be called as a parent, your child should be calling you that. Ma'am, sir, we are in the South. Do I have any ma'am, ma'am and sir people in, in the house? My, my, wife, <coughs> my wife is, uh, they're from Connecticut. Um, her family's from Connecticut, and then they moved to California, so my wife grew up a lot in California, so she had um, y- Yankee culture, and then she had California culture, whatever that is. <laughs> Got them! But I grew up in the South, and here you say, ma'am, a sir, or you, you end up with a, a lip that's a little bit bigger on one side. <laughs> so for me, it was always important to make sure she understood ma'am and sir. I don't require it all the time, but it is definitely there if, if certainly, if, 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 I'm sorry, what? Yes, sir. Like, you better go an extra level of respect at that point in time, right? But that's, that's, that's it. And then there's another function that happens in there where as we get older, as your parents age, we have a responsibility to take care of them. That's part of honoring our parents. Children, I don't know if you know this, children uh, do not innately honor their parents. When they are born, they're not very good at honoring. They just cry a lot. And they just need stuff. (laughs) Honor is not a thing that is intrinsic to us. So it's a thing that has to be taught. And they learn it a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time. But God's law commands honor for parents. Step number three. Encourage them with sensitivity and consistency. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. This father is here. Uh, potentially it was used fathers because the father was the head of the house and therefore by proxy it you know, would, would trickle down. We, in, in talking about marriage, we were saying uh, that it's sort of a, a, a cycle of uh, respect and, and submissiveness with the wife coming online under the, 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 the husband and then the husband raising her up like Christ raised us up. And it's always pushing each other up higher and higher and higher. So, this could be connected to the father. It is really just parents. Um, it may be aimed at fathers because fathers tend to be worse at needling their kids or neglecting their kids or whatever it is. Maybe, I don't know. But 
Do not provoke them to anger. So how, how did, what does that end up looking like? Fault finding. Um, always pointing out the things your kids don't do well. Beats them down. Not being there. <laughs> Absenteeism. Being at work all the time. Bringing your work home. Labeling them. Man, you were the laziest kid. You're just lazy. Comparing them, if you have multiple kids. I will say, I do have a bit of an advantage in the parenting department because we just stopped at one. I have learned through observation. The more kids you have, the more crazy your house is. So, I only have one. So, I think I got off a little bit on that one. But I definitely, I can see that, you know, why, why, why are you so hard-headed? You should be more like your brother. Like, I'm, a, I'm out of a family of three, so. Colossians 3, 21, just reiterates it. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Discouraged is a different word there. It's not anger. It's discouraged. But that's the idea, is that they are beaten down. So we want to encourage them with sensitivity, connecting with them, loving them, and consistency. If I could give one word to new parents that, ha- that, that are trying to figure out how to raise kids, consistency, consistency, consistency. Establish a rule, and that's the rule, and it never wiggles. My wife and I, we have uh, we, consistency between the two of us. We agreed a very long time ago, if one of us makes a ruling, the other one that's the ruling. I'm all in on it. Even if I don't think it was right, or even if she doesn't think it was right, she's lenient in some areas and I'm lenient in others. But once it's established, we're, we're a team, man. The, my daughter learned this in a parking lot of a convenience store. Where So when, when we go on like a long trip or whatever, um, I, we stop and get, you know, load up on snacks and stuff before we leave Wilson. And then, you know, that makes the ride a lot more fun. And so she, as she, uh, when we got back from Uganda, she discovered slushies. And so now she's all about slushies. So she wants slushy every time we walk into a store. No, not generally. But if it's a long trip, that's cool. You get a slushy, that's fine. We don't do, you know, long trips very often. So, so rock out. So we had gone in. Mandy was with us this time. Uh, I was in the restroom. I came back out. Kylie always asks before she gets one, may I get a slushie? Of course. Um, Mandy had gone to the bathroom. And then, so we check out. We're walking out. Mandy meets us at the door, and she's like, what is this? And Kylie said, Dad said I could. And then a look appeared on my wife's face that wasn't, like, it, it was just sort of taken aback, and I instantly knew what had happened. She asked Mama. Mama said no. Mama got out of earshot. She asked me because she knew that I was the sucker. I was the, the, the sucker for the slushy man. So I got got. And apparently I went in Tim and Dad face because Mandy was like, no, no, it's okay. It's, it's fine. Don't, don't worry about it. It's just a slushy. I mean, you know, it was, was a thing. Oh, no, no, no. It's a big thing. And so in horror, the slushy comes out of my daughter's hands. Boom angry into the garbage can and then come back and then she got dressed down. Don't you ever, 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 right? Mama says, no, don't you ever try to play me against her because we need consistency. She's got to know where the boundaries are. We need consistency. 
I don't get to teach my daughter values that are not in this book. Because I'm teaching consistency with the truth. This is a big, long quote. I'm, I'm just going to read it. <laughs> this is uh, Dr. Ted Tripp, Shepherding a Child's Heart. This is, um, I think, very, very profound. Your child's needs are far more profound than his aberrant behavior. His behavior does not just spring forth uncaused. His behavior reflects his heart. I think that's so important because I think we end up spending a lot of time trying to treat a symptom. So, you know, rebellion. Wait, why are you always throwing fits? Stop throwing fits. Well, the fit is a symptom of something else, some kind of uh, underlying thing. And maybe it's just disappointment in not getting, you know, a toy or whatever, and that's fine if it is. But maybe it's something bigger. Maybe it's disrespect. Maybe it's she doesn't think I respect her. Maybe she doesn't feel heard. As she gets older, she's starting to have a voice of her own that now I can listen to because I know I wasn't listening to her as a three-year-old. Be sensitive to your child's personality. Kylie is very different than your kids. So just because it works for me doesn't mean it's going to work for you. I, I do sometimes in a, in a leadership church role, I get people asking me for parenting advice. And I always preface it with, I'm not you. So, like, I'm real, real hyper-analytical, but a lot of people aren't. And so when I see a thing, I extrapolate it out five or six steps and go, okay, well, it's not a problem here, but it's going to become a problem here, so I'll go ahead and stop it here. But that's just the way I think. But one thing that we can definitely do, all of us, is to, to be sensitive to our children's personality. That doesn't mean that they get to get away with stuff just because, oh, he's hard-headed. I'm not even going to try to straighten him out anymore. He's hard-headed. We can still teach him respect. Number four. Train them with appropriate Discipline and instructions. Train them with appropriate discipline and instruction. Discipline and instruction, um, it kind of has a, a, a feel. Discipline has a, has a physical attribute to it. Instruction is a verbal attribute. So, so I, we, um, uh, uh, my daughter is a, uh, she's a, actually what last weekend she she's a, a competitive kickboxer, right? So she's she's uh, so any of you little twelve year old boys out there, just know I'm not the one you got to worry about. Like just because you're out of my eye shot doesn't mean you can't catch an elbow. But so so but we we work out of a fighting gym, and so one of the first things you learn is throw a punch, right? And so you you know turn this hip over and boom, you turn that hand all the way over. But nobody, whenever they come in, ever does that. It's you know throw a punch just like this. It's all arm, and so we have to walk over and more hip, more hip, and we actually physically will turn people's hips, and then that way they can feel what that feels like. That would be the discipline, the physical aspect of it. And then after that, whenever they, we could just say, turn your hips over, turn your hips over. Oh yeah, I have to turn my hips. And so there's two pieces to it, the physical aspect of it, and then the instructional, the verbal aspect of it, that you can just kind of remind back to. 
Um, you need both. You need both. Proverbs instructs us how to train up our children. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. In the way he should go. There's a, another side to that. Proverbs 23. Don't fail to correct your children. They won't die if you spank them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. I know that culturally, this one's a little, a little ticky-tack. This one's a little squirrely. So I do want to point out that there is a very distinct difference between discipline and abuse. Basically, I think the easiest way to think about it is don't hit your kid in anger. If you're angry, calm down first. And then go hit him. Just kidding. I'm not, that's the way it's got to be, though. Put some separation between the, that physical discipline. Calm yourself down. And then go to him and say, hey, I don't like this. I know you don't like it. But we got to do it. Let's do it together. Do you know why this is happening? Okay. You saw where you messed up there? Okay. You understand that anytime you ever do this, this is going to be the result? Okay. So I think that is a, a pretty decent benchmark. Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields a, the, peace, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The difference between abuse and discipline is discipline is temporary pain that is a, a, a marker for the lesson. Abuse is, think of it, permanent pain. Maybe emotional, maybe psychological, but it leaves a scar. If you think what you're about to do is going to leave permanent pain, then maybe reconsider, think, think through it a little more. Maybe you could come at it from a different angle. But if it's just, ow, that hurt, don't get over it. They're kids. They get hurt all the time. They bounce. Mandy dropped our kid off out of a truck once. Under the bus thrown. <laughs> sleeping on the couch. Abuse crushes their spirit. Discipline shapes their will. Keep this one in mind that there's a difference between being normal childishness and being willfully defiant. In our house, the willful defiance, we squash that with the quickness. But if she's goofing around and she breaks the glass, well, just clean the glass up. It's very easy to be uh, upset or frustrated when, you know, a kid like spills your coffee or whatever, knocks, you know, water on the keyboard or whatever. Yeah, maybe it's expensive. But maybe it was just an accident. I do that all the time. I knock things over. When I do, thank goodness my dad doesn't come like leaping out of the ceiling like ninja kick. Bang! Parenting myth. Your goal is to make your kids happy. That is the 
fastest way to have unhappy kids. The reality is, your goal is to make your kids holy. To make your kids holy, to raise them up. Boom. Because there's going to come a day when they're bigger than you. Or there's going to come a day when they move out. There's going to come a day when you no longer can bribe them. You no longer can strong arm them. There's going to come a day when they're just a person like you. And so if you spend their entire childhood making sure they never cry and everything goes their way, I got bad news for you. The world don't care. And so suddenly... They're going to be in a position where nothing's going their way. And what do they do? Make them holy. I do want to take a second to get outside my notes here. Because I, I acknowledge that there is a very big subsection, and I would probably not even a subsection now, it's probably the majority, of our American culture that deals with inherited kids, remarriage, you end up with, with step kids, you get them when they're 12, 15 years old. Um, there's a, a large po uh, population that I, I know in the church, people come to me all the time and are like, you know, I raised my kid up reading the Bible, I raised my kid up praying, I, I, I thought I did all the right things, now he's 22, he's, you know, atheist, and he's whatever, he went to university, and now he's a philosopher, and now he hates God, and what did I do, and how do I... So there is a, a, a helplessness, I think, that a lot of people can feel, and I just want to address that for a second is that you're not alone. It's not your job to fix your kids, weirdly enough. It's God's job to fix your kids. I know we all want our kids to be godly, but may I submit to you that if your kids have stopped listening to you, they're you know, no longer children, they're 20, 22 years old, whatever, and they've stopped listening to you entirely, Maybe it's not your voice that they need to hear anymore. That doesn't mean give up on them, stop praying for them. But it might mean just witness to them the same way you do everybody else that you don't have authority over. Just pray for them. Pray with them. Open up to them. If you've given them the Bible their whole life and they've gone through a rebellion and now they've rebelled against it, shoving it back at them might be a little heavy-handed. It might feel like the right thing. But if they've rebelled, then there's, that's the symptom, right? That's the behavior. There's something deeper at play there. So maybe they feel hopeless. Or maybe they're going through depression. Maybe they're dealing with some kind of chemical depression or whatever. There could be a lot of things. So if you're in that subsect where a lot of this is when they're, you know, get them while they're young. And you're saying, I didn't have them when they were young. What do I do now? Pray. Lean on your community. Lean on your church. 
Reach them the same way you reach your neighbor. Live a life that they look at and go, man, I want that. Mom, how are you always? Dad, how are you always? It's right here. He died for me. He died for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for giving us children. Thank you for trusting us with your children. Now please guide us. Because now we are terrified. Help us to speak wisdom into the parents around us. Help us to speak guidance to maybe our, our brothers and sisters that have children. And maybe they, maybe they don't have Christ. Help us to use those moments when they call us exasperated to witness to them. Father God, thank you for loving us in a way that we could never understand. Thank you for sacrificing yourself for us when we didn't deserve it. Help us to turn that same heart towards our children when they rebel against us or when they speak hatefully to us. When they are caught up in whatever sin takes control of their heart, help us to remember that we were the same way. And you responded by sacrificing yourself in love. Help us to put love and honor, and obedience first in our lives so that it could reflect to the lives of our children. If you're a parent here, if you hear my voice and you think, yeah, this is all well and good, but I don't have God. I can't reflect God into the life of my child because I don't even have God. I don't even have my stuff together. I got good news. Yeah, you do. He's right there. His hands outstretched. He wants you to come home. He already made the sacrifice for you. All your broken pieces. He already bought them. All you have to do is reach up and take his hand. Father, I'm a sinner. But I know you died for me. I know you're bigger than death. That he raised again. And I know that you've made a place for me at your table. I want to be yours. You don't have to say those words exactly. It's not incantation. Just pray it with your heart. Father God, if there is anybody here who has their door shut to you, I just ask that you open their ears that they could continue to hear you knocking. We love you so much. Amen.